Hello and welcome to another episode of the Super Top Podcast. I'm Oshin, recording in Vancouver. And I'm Podrig, also recording in Vancouver. So we're pretty hard at work on Castro Plus stuff at the moment, so we're going to try and keep this episode a little bit shorter than usual. Let's see how we get on with that. We've been talking a lot in the last couple of episodes about how we're moving to subscription pricing, and as we're preparing to make this move to subscriptions, we think it could be useful to share some of our thoughts and experiences with it. So that's where we're going to talk about today. So Apple says subscriptions are the answer to sustainable business on the App Store. And we have a quote from Phil Schiller, um, which I will now perform in my normal voice. The reason we haven't done it is that it's much more complex than people know. And the upgrade model, which I know very well from my days of running many large software programs, is a model from the shrink-wrapped software days that for some developers is still very important. But for most, it's not really a part of the future we are going to. I think that for many developers, subscription model is a better way to go than to try to come up with a list of features and different pricing for upgrade for as new customers. I'm not saying it doesn't have value for some developers, but for most it doesn't, so that's the challenge. And if you look at the App Store, it would take a lot of engineering to do that, and so would be at the expense of other features we can deliver. That's a few sections taken from a longer thing he said, so some of the grammar isn't very good. But I think there's two points in it. One is that Phil is arguing that subscription is how software should work in the future, and upgrades every year or two aren't the future. And then the second thing is that it's too hard to do. It would be a pain in the ass for them to implement it as well as they also don't want to. And I like I remember like from those early days of when Apple was really like pushing towards subscription. I thought they were delusional in a sense or like I just really was not convinced really about subscription as like that this is definitely the way that people should be going. I thought it was kind of an excuse for maybe not having upgrade pricing so much or this is the future because it's too hard for anything else to be the future. This is the future because we don't have upgrade pricing yet. And uh, when we do actually have upgrade pricing sometime, that'll be the future. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, now as we approach like launching a subscription model for Castro Plus, I'm surprised actually how bullish I'm I'm feeling about it as a strategy. Maybe Phil was right. Maybe they were right all along. Um, I remember having like some conversations with with an Apple representative that we had who was like trying to convince us that, yeah, oh, yeah, we should try subscription. And I, I remember just being like too scared by the idea or not thinking it fit our business right. But I'm surprised how confident I'm feeling about it now. I mean, let's see once it launches how, how well-founded that was. But I feel good about it now. I mean, there's definitely some problems with it from developers' perspective or perhaps even more interestingly from a user's perspective. So I think it's going to be worth like us like delving into some of those today. But I'm definitely, I mean, I'm excited at the prospect of, of launching this thing. I'm excited about the subscription stuff too. And part of it is relief that we're doing something that if it works it'll work on an ongoing basis instead of, hey, we launch one app, we get 20,000 users, and then we have to keep doing that every year. We have to keep finding new people again and again and again. I think very few one or two person teams have the marketing capacity to bring in hundreds of thousands of users over the course of the life of the app. So this subscription thing means if we can get 10 or 20,000 or 30,000 users ever and just keep them happy, then we're great. Like, we're good. We can hire people. (laughs) But I think I've integrated, in part, the idea of charging a decent amount per year for software into a subscription as a project for us. If we could sell Castro for $20 or $30 and then sell upgrades every 18 months or two years for $20 then I think I'd be okay with that model too. Then we could still make it work with the same rough numbers of users, right? Yeah, totally. I mean, I think partly, I mean, what has happened, like famously and what people talk about is like this, like race to the bottom of like what 
price can you charge for a paid upfront app on the iOS app store. So like, yeah, we're charging $5 at the moment. That's considered to be pretty expensive. But I think what's built into that price and what's built into the idea of what makes $5 sound expensive is like, is the element of, of risk and the fact that you don't get to try this app out before you pay that $5. So a user who's like looking at a $5 app, they don't know yet whether, oh, am I going to pay $5 for this? And then I'm going to get to use it for like the next five years and it's going to be the most amazing bargain I ever had or am I going to install it and next week I'm not going to want to use the app anymore and that gets like worked into every decision around like oh is it worth paying for this app up front or not whereas I think like with subscription like even if we're talking about say 99 cents a month subscription for example obviously that works out as a lot more expensive for a user like over a year but 99 cents is still like this like pretty low uh, amount of money if it, if it is something that like you actually are going to make use of like for an entire month for example i mean compared to any other expenses in my life if there's like 99 cents for something that i'm actually like using regularly and getting value out of for a whole month like it's it's a pretty small amount of money and when i stop getting value from that piece of software i stop paying my 99 cents a month and that's it so it's like you get your value for as long as you want to use it for a pretty, I think, a reasonable price. When we get out of the theory of subscription versus paid and into the actual implementation of setting up subscriptions and working with them day to day, there are a few rough edges that could be fixed. I think, first of all, let's talk about from the user's perspective, we can comment on some of the UI of actually setting up a subscription and managing it. And then I think we have some stuff to get off our chests about the developer experience. <laughs> so we'll go there later. <laughs> stick with us for the user part, and then you can tune out later if we're just shouting too much. Um, so from a user perspective, I think it still feels a bit scary to set up a subscription. I saw someone on a thread about subscriptions last week who still thought that it's really hard to cancel an iOS subscription. Yeah, and he thought that like, that was the main reason why subscription worked, basically just because they trick people into, into staying subscribed and it's too hard to cancel. Yeah, the idea that like you sign up to a gym in January, but then they'll only let you cancel if you go in in person and talk to them, and that that's a real pain, so you end up paying for a few months because you put that off. And I remember when I saw his tweet uh, originally, I remember just being like, oh, it's, he's being silly. Like, it's so easy to cancel subscriptions. But then like a, a little while later, I was like, oh, hold on a second. This is like an actual potential customer's like opinion. I mean, just because I think that it's easy to cancel subscriptions doesn't mean that that message is out there. I mean, this is like a, a genuine concern that potential customers are going to have. The reason I think both of us felt that it's easy to cancel subscriptions is because the apps that we've ever subscribed to have been good citizens and have included in the settings section a manage subscriptions button, which takes you to the right UI where you can cancel. But that's totally optional. Apple doesn't require developers to include that feature in their apps. So I'm sure there are plenty of apps out there that rely on trapping people and making it harder for them to cancel their subscriptions. Yeah, it seems really bizarre to me that Apple doesn't like make this an absolute requirement that, that you have to like at least put in one of these managed subscription buttons. Or also, even if we wanted, there's no way for us to let users cancel a subscription from within our own app. I mean, that feels like something that would help kind of like lay the groundwork and make users feel more comfortable that it was going to be easy to do this kind of stuff. Not just let us do that, they should require us to do that. Require any app that wants to offer a subscription to have a, have a cancellation option in the app. Because 
So they do have this link that you can use, like to jump the user out to manage the subscriptions. But even when you jump out there, I mean, <laughs> you end up like not even in the App Store. You're in the iTunes Store, which is an app that I had forgotten what it even does until recently. <laughs> and it loads up this like weird web view kind of imitation of UIKit that like doesn't feel like a native. It, well, it is not and really, really does not feel like a native experience. It feels kind of like a closer to like a kind of a phishing version of iOS or something <laughs> like that. That's exactly what it feels like. So you jump out to that and yeah, I don't know. It's just like a bizarre kind of an experience. And if you try to find that screen itself, like if you have a subscription in an app that doesn't offer the, you the ability to jump out to the screen, if you try to find it in the app store itself, like I mean, it's pretty buried. Like you have to tap through about like four or five different screens. Like you tap on the, you know, that little face icon, your face <laughs> that you see. Yeah. On the first screen in there is where you can now go to see your previous purchases. But there isn't a, like your subscriptions, you should be able to just like go from there directly to your subscriptions as well. Because then to get to your subscriptions, you have to go another level deeper. And then there is another screen that lists your purchases and your subscriptions, but they're not further up. Anyhow, this is maybe me getting like a little bit too specific, but basically I just think like if Apple thinks that the subscriptions are the future and that developers should be like moving to this kind of model for their apps, I wish that they could be also making customers feel more comfortable about the idea that this is the future. That like, hey guys, look, we really think it's going to be worth you guys subscribing to apps. Like they're better value for money this way. You're going to get better software that like stays around for longer. And don't worry, look, we have this really nice UI where you can go and cancel. Any app you're subscribed to has to offer you a cancellation option in the app. I mean, or even like... For example, if I delete an app that I'm that I have a subscription to, iOS should just be like, "Hey, do you want to cancel your subscription?" There should be no friction there for users because this idea that subscriptions are like this trap that you're going to fall into. I mean, we can do what we can in little ways to make sure that we let customers know that it's going to be easy to cancel the subscriptions, but there's so much more like on a system-wide level and on a kind of even a education level or a marketing level that I think Apple could do to get customers feeling more comfortable with the idea that subscriptions are are a good way to go. So now we're going to go into the weeds on the developer's perspective a bit. Some of this is going to be us complaining, but we'll try to present it in a way that it's us advising our past selves, things we wish we knew before we started, so that if you're about to implement subscriptions or if you're partway through it, that some of this might actually help you get somewhere. If you're tuning out now, thank you for tuning in. We'll talk to you soon. If you're a developer and you're sticking around or you're just very curious about like the shit show that's going on behind the scenes every time you do an in-app purchase um stick with us <laughs> okay here we go so the overall problem is that there's a general sense of fear of releasing something on the store that we don't have the confidence that it's going to work launch days are important you don't want to launch and then have the thing where people give you money not be working like a lot of other things might not be perfect, but that one should work. That is a pretty important part of it. And it kind of blows me away that this is the part of the App Store that processes, I mean, in-app purchases and subscriptions are all kind of in the same bowl of mess. And that's billions of dollars a month, right? That go through there. It might even be millions. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I don't even understand that. That was a joke that I thought a million was more than a billion. Don't mind me. Oh, I get it now. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> so yeah, this is this is a part of Apple's business that processes billions of dollars and 
It's a pretty weak sauce offering overall, but let me get into the details instead of just offering judgments before I even explain the problems. There's like the server side and the app side of this. So Ushin has done more on the app side and I've done more on the server side. So maybe we should try to break it up that way. You saw a lot of cannot connect to iTunes store errors, right? There was one particular day when there was like tons of them. And I remember we were each trying to hunt it down. It was like this code that had worked the day before. And now I was trying it on a different device. And it was a question of, oh, I must be doing something wrong or I haven't set up something properly, uh, like checking all these forums, searching on Twitter, bunch of different suggestions on Stack Overflow, looking through my code and being like, okay, I must be doing something wrong. And then eventually I found this tweet that was like, oh, hey, if you're ever here from customers who are getting a cannot connect to iTunes store error, tell them to like go into the settings, go into restrictions, turn them on and turn them back off again, and uh, then it'll work. So that guy was, I think his name was Russ. He was talking about like an app that was like already live on the store, but I figured, oh, maybe I'll give this a shot. So yeah, went toggled the restrictions on and off and uh, hey, presto, I, my code was good again and I was ready to ready to continue uh, work for today. But that took quite a while. If you hadn't found that one helpful tweet, where would we be? I, I probably would have quit my job by now. I know, it's nuts. Like, <laughs> So in that situation, iOS could give us a real error that doesn't say can I connect to iTunes store because that's not the problem. You had Wi-Fi. It was working. That would have saved like three or four hours of your time. This must happen to a lot of people, a lot of developers, right? So I think there's a big theme here of just like something that should be pretty simple to implement, having all these like inconsistencies and problems and that adding up to tons of wasted time. Okay, next point. Should we number these? Number two. Setting up the test environment is a nightmare. (laughs) You have to make iTunes Connect sandbox users using that website called iTunes Connect. Plus, there are new restrictions on what the email address of those users can be. So there's a trick with email accounts that I think everyone knows, but I should explain before I jump into complaining why it doesn't work, where you can have a normal email address like Podrick at Supertop, and you can, instead of setting up a whole new email address and forwarding it or setting up a particular alias, you can just add a plus to the end of the username and then whatever you want. So it could be Podrick plus Apple test at supertop.co, and those emails will just get delivered to my normal email address. So that's a really useful thing to do when you're setting up these accounts if you don't want to have to set up actual new email addresses. However, after a bunch of messing, I found that you can't make like a plus sandbox account if the non plus whatever email is registered on Apple system elsewhere. So because Podrick at Supertop is already an account somewhere, because I used it for something one day, that can never have a sandbox account. And it doesn't tell you this. It just says that email is in use. Uh, even though you might have typed something completely unique after the plus. So we had to register a new email address and then like make sure that we never ever use that for anything to do with Apple so that we can then make new sandbox accounts based off that. So anyway, really boring point, but... Oh, I have an even more boring one. Okay, go for it. Every one of these accounts you set up also has to uh, follow Apple's rules for like what is allowed to be a password. Like you have to have a capital letter, you have to have a digit, you have to, I don't know, spin around in your chair in the middle of it and then... <laughs> this is a test account, it can't do anything. Like, can we not just like, let's just like get this thing set up. But because these are, like we don't worry about having complicated App Store passwords anymore because we have Face ID or Touch ID but you don't set those up on your these sandbox accounts, obviously, because I don't, well, I don't know if you even can. So this is a password you do have to type all the time. So it being something with capitals and numbers for security over something that needs no security is just like 
oh come on the other annoying part is of this setting up the dev environment is that you have to like set it up with the production app id um so we like use different app ids for our, like for our release builds and for our dev builds and it means we can have like the app store or a test flight version of Castro on our phone at the same time as like our latest dev build and not like messing up with our like the build that we're actually trying to like use in real life every time we like deploy to our phones. But if the app ID doesn't match the app ID that you're going to have on release, then you're not able to like pull information about the in-app purchases from the server or to have them. Yeah, you're not even going to be able to get the information in the first place and you're definitely not going to be able to test how they get processed. So that was just a kind of a little anointing. And I think because of the way that we have our like our provisioning profiles and stuff set up for a variety of other reasons that we needed to work around something else from before, um, making our dev builds have the same app ID as our release builds. It took us a while to set that up, right? But it was like a ton of different profile things and different things we had to do to get that working. Yeah, I guess the other approach would be to make a full fake app on iTunes Connect that you never submit for review and add the, and then make sure that you add the exact same subscriptions there and that you don't mess it up. I guess that leads back to the uh, general sense of fear of testing something that's not actually going to work once it's on the store. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Number three. Okay, this one's for me. So after someone buys a subscription, the app uploads that receipt that is sent by Apple the app uploads that receipt to our server so that we can verify it and then unlock your Castro account. And the way we do that is we send that receipt to Apple and then they come back with a bunch of JSON fields of every transaction in the receipt. That's more or less fine, except the fields in the receipts are undocumented or like partially documented. So there are ones, there are extra fields that come back that aren't mentioned on Apple's website anywhere. And there are ones that come back in slightly different formats than what Apple says. Every date is duplicated three times in each response. So there are like purchase date, expiry date, cancellation date, I think three or four different dates that come back. And then each of those is in three formats. So there's a milliseconds version, there's a Pacific time version and a GMT version. The Pacific time version is labeled, whatever the date is, expires date underscore PST. And then the time that's provided is in the America slash Los Angeles time zone which is not PST. It is Pacific time, which is the version that observes daylight savings time. So that's fun. Spent about an hour wondering why those dates didn't match up. Was that the same hour that you lost for daylight savings time as well? Yeah, the, the clocks went back. So then I gained it, I think. I think I'm at zero now. Okay, um, that worked out. <laughs> so that's the receipt side. You verify the receipt, you get something back. And that's your server pushing it and getting an, a response back. There are also status update notifications, which are a newer thing that was added just last year at WWDC, I think, which tells you when there are changes to that receipt uh, without you having to upload it on Ask again. Uh, so before this, everyone needed to just have their server refresh receipts on some regular basis, like every day, just refresh the receipt to see if it's been, if the user's cancelled it or if they've done the renewal or whatever. But now you get update notifications from, from Apple, which is cool. Except, the, yeah, they're, there are a bunch of problems with them. I'm just going to keep plowing on here. You plow ahead. I'll just giggle occasionally. One of the notification types is called initial buy. And that's one that Apple sends us the moment that somebody buys a subscription. So that's cool. Except it includes no way to associate that transaction with the user's account because we haven't received any other information from the app yet about what their transaction ID is because the app doesn't know yet. If we could associate the user's account name with the transaction, then that could come through in that 
server notification. And then we could set everything up in advance so it would just be unlocked already, like really quickly. But as it is, because that initial buy doesn't include any identifier, so as far as I'm concerned, just stop sending those. They don't do anything. Next point, there's a cancel notification type. So cancellation is an overloaded term here. Sometimes it means the user's turned off auto-renewal which I think is what you'd normally understand from cancellation. But in this context, it means that they've complained to Apple about the subscription and got basically got a refund for the time remaining. Yeah, it's more like a refund is the way to think of it. But this cancel transaction that comes in, the JSON that arrives is not documented anywhere. I found one Stack Overflow post where somebody had shared parts of a receipt, but it wasn't a full one. So I still wasn't that confident that I could understand how to parse that JSON and pull out, pull out the important fields. I eventually had to just DM some other developers I know who have already set up subscriptions, and one of them very kindly shared what a real cancellation notification looks like. So yeah, there's no way to integrate this in advance unless you have a friend who's already done it. You you have to launch it, wait for a transaction to come in, log that transaction, and then do your cancellation implementation. That's nuts to me. Like All they have to do to fix that is like have one sample JSON. Don't even bother documenting it because we've seen there are problems with how they do document it. Just give us an up-to-date actual JSON file. And I asked for it on the Apple developer forums and it was just crickets, like no response at all. But it seems it's bizarre to me that we don't have the ability to like, okay, so we create a test user, we create a test, like a fake subscription that doesn't cost us any money. It's in our dev app, but then we can't like do any other actions on that. Apple will simulate some stuff, like so they'll like renew it like a number of times for us so we can see what renewals look like and then they'll stop renewing it so we can kind of see what it looks like when people stop renewing it. But we, like, we can't be like, okay, stop this renewing and we can't be like, hey, give me a refund and, and simulate all that stuff. There's a smart thing where the subscription period goes in super fast speed. I, I don't remember the exact periods, but like if it's a three-month subscription, it'll go by in 15 minutes, say so that you can you can see the renewals working. Except, well, they'll do some number of renewals each day, and then it'll cancel. Oh, although actually, for, especially for developers who are implementing this in the future, I would like just a word of caution that like the last renewal that they're going to do that day, like even afterwards, when they're not going to renew it, the payload that they send you still states that they are going to renew it. So <laughs> um, it's, it's not just you. Um, if the renewals stop coming, um, just go home. and yeah that's it like you won't get more renewals for that sandbox account that day so once you've had those six or eight that's it you can't start a new transaction and expect to get another six renewals so the the prospect of setting up any kind of automated integration testing that you can run a few times a day is just no forget it you can't have that if you refresh a receipt with apple you can find out that it's past the expiry period but the user is having billing issues in which case you might want to give them a grace period while they sort that out or tell them update your credit card but there's no status update notification for that we can only get that by polling their server so it's like they added this status update notification as a way to stop us from needing to pull the server but they didn't finish the job so we still need to pull the server if we want to offer these kinds of features point number four five one two twelve four yeah it's Apparently possible for a renewal to happen after subscription has elapsed. So if you think about it, each time a user renews their subscription, that's like a new purchase, but it's just happening automatically. So when do you think, Ashin, would be a good time to process that renewal transaction? I'm going to give you two choices. (laughs) One is 
before the subscription has expired and the second wrong choice is after the subscription has expired which one would you choose i would like to try and do that before yeah i think that's a good call now the documentation does warn that in that sped up renewal cycle sometimes the the renewal can happen afterwards and i mean i guess i guess i kind of get that i mean because it's like everything's going a little bit faster it's a bit more difficult to do that um but i mean that would just happen in the dev environment right uh, yeah, that makes sense in the dev environment, I guess. And they do mention that in the documentation. And they also say such lapses are also possible in production for a variety of reasons. Make sure your app handles them correctly. Oh, what kind of reasons? And what does correctly mean? Yeah, well, this document isn't scrolling down any further. It's like it got cut off or something. They didn't include those parts. I made a snarky tweet about this as well as the snarky conversation we just had. Um, some people responded pointing out like actual real-world things that could happen that would mean your app didn't know that it had been renewed. The user's offline or they are, they're having billing issues. But to me, the meaning of this paragraph is that the lapses can happen on production because of issues internal to Apple servers, and you have to deal with that. Now, maybe I'm misinterpreting that or reading too much into it, but then it says, make sure your app handles it correctly. The only correctly I can think of is that we provide some kind of grace period when an expiry happens and the user looks like they'll auto-renew. So that's what we've done, I guess. Yeah, you can be expired for 24 hours as long as it looks like you're set to auto-renew and then you'll get to continue using it. So that's what we've done. And it's another example of it's like, okay, we've added this grace period, which we think is what they mean by handle it correctly. We will release this on the App Store and I guess then we'll like hope that that's fine i think it'll be fine it'll be fine right this is how you're supposed to feel before a launch yeah <laughs> yeah that like basically it'll just work first time most code i write does work <laughs> eventually <laughs> at least when we put the app on test flight everyone will be able to test it right yeah but i mean one thing is that you we've been advised is that when you like release your test flight version of the app you should you should probably remove all the like in-app purchase functionality out of it because Otherwise, your users are going to get this like annoying dialogue that like pops up asking them for their iTunes password because of a bug in, in iOS. They're going to get that prompt, but they're, it won't go away. Like They're going to just keep getting that prompt like every, every few days. Okay, right, forever. Yeah. So if you want to be like a, like a good developer and be like nice to your testers, you should just don't test the in-app purchase code. <laughs> it's just like such a clusterfuck. I will add that that's not Apple's uh, advice, but it is a reality, at least for now. iOS 11.3 might fix it. So we've been told. In conclusion, I think it just needs, there needs to be some consistency between the APIs. Oh, wait, there's one more thing. I didn't mention this. I was too busy complaining about time zones. There's inconsistency even between the response we get when we ask the server to verify a receipt and the response we get from a status update notification. They both have an expires date field, just expires underscore date. One of them is in the etc slash GMT time zone, and the other one, named the same thing, is just milliseconds since 1970 or whatever. And this is the code we can't test properly. Like, there are these random inconsistencies. So even if we tried our best to just write the code that worked according to the documentation, we would hit these problems because the the responses aren't consistent with each other. So yeah, it really just needs some consistency between the APIs. It needs a lot more documentation. And yeah, it kind of gave me this feeling about like, it's like philosophical thing about software development, that having a list of features and checking them off isn't building a product. 
like you need to fill in all the gaps between those features too that aren't like that you don't have radars for i don't know you have to think about it from the end user's point of view um, maybe try to implement it yourself so that you hit all these things because this is this isn't like our 57th time implementing this and now we have some very refined s- suggestions this is our first time trying to set up this auto renewing subscription stuff and it's like blatantly obvious that these 10 things are just completely wrong not to be too harsh or anything but it's it just seems like an incomplete product to me hmm <sighs> well I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> I feel good, though. I feel like I've got a lot off my chest now. I guess overall, the point is that like, if Apple is saying that this subscriptions is the future and this is the way for independent software, any software to be going, it's like, let's try to like make some improvements here. Uh, Podrick, you summed up what that means on the developer side really well just now. And earlier on, we talked about like from the user perspective as well. And like, if this is the future, let's try and make users feel as comfortable as possible with it. Let's not scare them. And I guess, yeah, let's stop scaring developers too. Yeah. Why is the future setting back two different date formats? 